Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry, where we get to talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guest today is Dr. Kendall Ware from St. Louis. Kendall Ware, did we ever have class together? Yes, we did. We had a health class. <laughs> I, uh, I played football and I played baseball. You started off in biology. Yes. <laughs> and had trouble with organic chemistry. <laughs> and I did too. I, I started <laughs> off pre-med and I just couldn't handle organic chemistry. So I had to change my major as well. We had that oh. in common, I thought. It was interesting. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So I, I started off in biology. But... um. Actually, when I got to organic chemistry, I found that it wasn't for me, <laughs> yeah. but I always had a, uh, I took a liking towards math. And the thing was, I actually was given a position at Lincoln to tutor all of the athletes in mathematics. Yeah, yeah right. And so, so that actually sparked a, it sparked up me liking math again. And then eventually I went home for one of the breaks and then I had found a, a time capsule that I had done in third grade in my mother's house. And it had actually showed uh, that I had written on there that my favorite subject was math. <laughs> back oh in my the goodness. <laughs> so Isn't yeah, I cool? you know, putting that together. I was like, oh, well, I guess this is all coming full circle now. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yes. So you came over from St. Louis City or? I attended St. Louis City schools in the Walnut Park area when I was very young. And then I moved out to Hazelwood and I was in the Hazelwood School District out there. Uh, but for high school, I went to uh, Lutheran North. Okay. And then after Lutheran North, yeah, I transitioned and went to Lincoln University. Initially, I wanted to go to Missouri State to play football, and they offered me some money uh, to play wide receiver there, but my mother didn't want me to play football in college, oh. and uh, she really didn't want me to play wide receiver. So uh, when I came to Lincoln, I also I played both sides of the ball. I was a defensive back, so I played a cornerback at Lincoln. So I guess that was better for her. <laughs> Well, you didn't get tackled quite as badly, is that right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, those wide receivers just go down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you played basketball. Who was uh, who was coaching back at that time? Uh, for football, I had a Lamar Parrish was an oh, yeah. head coach. Yes. A Lincoln grad himself. Yes. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, he came back uh, for a few years there. It was... Uh, We've had our turnover of coaches at, at Lincoln, but it's good to have him back. He's oh, a good yeah. cook too, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard stories about how he'd have the team over for. Uh, good, yeah, and just uh, either earlier this year or last year, he was named uh, to the all Madden team for the Bengals. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't hear that. So uh, who was your mentor as you were growing up at home who uh, who made sure you uh did your a one 
plus one and two plus four and all those things? <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, I want to say my parents, but more specifically, my mother was. Uh, she was always uh, for education. She was a teacher. Uh, like I said, when I went to Walnut Park, uh, she was actually a teacher there. Oh, okay. Yes. And then uh, she's been in the Hazelwood district. Uh, she's taught on the college level. And she got her, she received her doctorate from Lindenwood University. Oh, yeah. In They're St. Charles. Yes. Yeah. My yeah. dad's family's from St. Charles area. My dad graduated high school in St. Charles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then my father, he, uh, same way he taught at, and this was one of the reasons why I went to Lutheran North. He, um, he was actually, he started his teaching, he's from Cincinnati, but he moved to St. Louis, met my mother, and uh, he was the first football coach in Cardinal Ritter's history. He taught at Cardinal Ritter first and was the first football coach there. And then uh, he left and taught at, uh, at Aquinas Mercy for a while. And then um, he taught in the public schools. He was at McClure South Berkeley. And then uh, uh, he actually taught at Lutheran North where I went to high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. he was one of my coaches there as well. Uh, a coach? He was your coach? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that could be good. It could be uh, interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, you're also uh, a success story for Lincoln U. You went on to uh, get a master's and now you're a PhD in uh, education. Uh, how did that go? Oh, it, it actually went went well, and I'm actually back in school now. I'm uh, I'm getting a Master of Arts in Christian Ministry from uh, Missouri Baptist. Wow, wonderful! Yes, uh -huh. and I, I started their program uh, in the fall of 2019, so last year. You have an EDD, is that what they call it? Doctor of Education yes. in a, in a higher education leadership. But your yeah. master's was in math. It was in a teaching with an emphasis in math. Yeah, because you have been teaching for a while. Yeah, I started with a uh, program called Upward Bound, and uh, I was working as a, uh, basically a tutor there first. And my supervisor there said, you know, once I go ahead and graduate, then she'll give me a full-time position. And so once I graduated, she gave me a full-time position. And then I met a lot of people because our program is housed on uh, St. Louis Community College's campus. Okay. And so from there, I met some people and I met uh, the dean of the math department and he gave me my first college teaching position. So I was teaching developmental math courses. And uh, so, Perfect. yeah, I'd work it upward bound during the day, uh, keep the same office and then uh, <clears throat> teach all my courses at now on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursday evenings. And are that still going on? Uh, not at St. Louis Community College. I'm still in the system, but I don't have any courses this semester. So uh, I'm doing some some adjunct teaching at Harris Stowe now. Have you had some contact with East St. Louis? Yeah, so I actually, uh, I'm the assistant director over for the Gear Up program in East St. Louis. And uh, Gear Up is the gaining early awareness and readiness for undergraduate programs. So uh, we run in a cohort model. So my students there, they were the class of 2019 and 2020. So they just graduated and I have to track them for one more year. So all of my students, they're in college and uh, <clears throat> I'm actually, I just started a mentorship program with them this fall where the students that graduated in 2019 are being mentors to the students that graduated in 2020. And that's actually going really well. It's so, a great way uh, to do I, it. 
Yeah, so I just had some students email me today and we're talking about some of their mentees and uh, some of the things they were going through. I just had to find a, a student, a, a tutor for accounting because her mentor couldn't help her out with that. But other than that, yeah, things are going pretty well. I'm uh, with everything being virtual. I have to talk to all of them via email or uh, text message or, uh, you know, Skype. And we always run um, programs where we have events every second Saturday of the month. And uh, so I'm working on that because our next one is coming up on the 14th of November. And along with that, I'm drawing up this proposal for the Sheldon Arts Gallery. They do this thing every year where they have miniature golf inside their building. So they mm -hmm. ask organizations if they want to be a part of it to go ahead and write up a proposal, uh, create how the miniature golf hole is going to be. And if you go ahead and win, then they'll let you come to their building, design the hole, they'll pay for the materials, all of that. And then it'll be featured across the nation. So they'll be in the papers and they'll do some interviews and then we'll get a select number of tickets for people to come in and play the hole. Interesting. So they're designing all the uh, obstacles and turns and all that sort of thing with a miniature golf course? Yes. So all of that is on our own. And I think that's a great way for our students in the program to display their creative side. Oh, yeah. Along with being, you know, adjunct at um, Harris Stowe, I'm a university supervisor over there. So that means I'm in charge of um, students that are doing their student teaching. And so I'm given a select number of students and I just have to walk them through and make sure they're doing everything correctly. And it's, it's extremely different this year, you know, with sure. uh, COVID and everything. So I'm having to actually, you know, monitor these teachers via Skype or Zoom or yeah. however. And uh, St. Louis Public School just started where parents have the option if they want to continue their kids learning virtually or they're in the classroom. So some of it's about half and half. So I just uh, uh, viewed a class yesterday and uh, they had the, the teacher had the students in the classroom and the ones virtual and she's teaching the same lesson, but it's, it's difficult because to try to keep all their attention and this was a third grade class. So to try oh, wow. to keep all of their attention, you know, on what she's doing is, is something else. So, you know, um, I'm kind of trying to be, you know, lenient on that, just respecting the fact that it's different because you're not in the classroom and there's certain things that can, you know, come about. Like one of the things that I thought was interesting was these students, even though they're learning virtually, they're not allowed just to go to the restroom on their own. They still have to use restroom passes and ask the teacher <laughs> if they can go to the restroom <laughs> in their own home. So oh, I thought my. that was different. This is a lot of, again, adapting, creativity, ways of working that you never had to think about when you were coming up through your education process. So uh, do you all get, have meetings that talk about how you're going to do it or, or you just get told how you're going to do it or how does that work? Right. It's a, it's a little bit of both. So for Gear Up, uh, my full-time over in East St. Louis, it's different because uh, my full-time, I work in Illinois, but my part-time is in Missouri, and it's a little different with how, you know, COVID is. Uh, so they're a lot stricter over on the Illinois side than they are in Missouri. Oh. But yeah, but we're starting to see a lot more cases uh, in Illinois now, so they're starting to crack down because we were supposed to be in school for this uh, second quarter, 
but it got pushed back and it might get pushed back even further now because we're having reports of uh, administrators and things, you know, having COVID and they don't want to be in the, you know, the building. So how is that going to work when students come back? So with my staff over in uh, East St. Louis, I have, well, I had three different offices. So I had an office in uh, East St. Louis High School, an office in Yvetta Young, that's the alternative school, and then an office down at the Board of Education. So majority of my time, I was at uh, Yvetta, and uh, that's because that was the smallest of all three, and I didn't encounter, you know, as many people. But since our students graduated already, I no longer have the office in East St. Louis, and next year when we'll be starting a new grant, all our students will start as middle schoolers, so I have to move one of my offices to the middle school side. But uh, like I said, as far as my staff, I'm, you know, just kind of lenient with them just as, as long as they get the work done. It's not a big deal if they come into the office or they work from home and the results, you know, they speak for themselves. So I'll be able to tell and I'll be able to show my boss, you know, that we're doing everything we need to do so that uh, everything's running like clockwork. And so far, everything's running well for the Missouri side for Harris Hill. We have a lot of meetings and we have like one of the classes I'm actually teaching, it started out as uh, being fully online, but then uh, midway through the semester, they said that, you know, now it's going to be a hybrid. So we want the instructors to come in once a week. So I have a class that meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So they want us to come the first day of the week that our class meets. And then the second day will be virtual. And the class I'm teaching over there are in the education department, but they're teaching teachers how to teach math. So I'm teaching a, uh, a class entitled Teaching Middle School Math for Teachers. And I have a Teaching High School Math for Teachers. And so majority of my students, they're the graduate students, so they're already in the field. And it's mm -hmm. just, you know, cleaning up things and giving them more, you know, ideas of what to do and make sure the discipline is there with their students, especially now since a lot of it is virtual. But yeah, Missouri, I will say that there are a lot more meetings over here than there are on the Illinois side. I uh, took the liberty of going over to uh, the web page for your East St. Louis school. Let's it called, uh, yeah, East, East St. Louis School 189, District 189. Yes. And I came across the superintendent's message on racial injustice. And I was impressed how right up front he was with the whole situation. Uh, it seemed like he wrote his uh, piece right after uh, the Joy George Floyd murder. Obviously, the superintendent sees that as part of a context for education. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering how you, as a Black man, see that as uh, a context for what you're experiencing, what your students are experiencing. Are you comfortable with kind of opening up what is going on in, in your all's world? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah, and, Good. Uh, and Arthur Culver, and I've, uh, you know, had many conversations with him, and he's uh, one of those that's in great support of gear up. and I see him at the board and uh, he comes to the high school uh, on many occasions depending on you know what's going on there so the thing is and especially with uh, racism we actually just did a piece in September uh, about uh, policing America 
And uh, I had my students on there and they were, we had a, a deputy, a, a police officer, those people from the field talking about how it was to be black, black and especially in East St. Louis, how racism affects them in their everyday life and going to school and all of that. And this really, you know, came to my attention when uh, my students of class of 2020 were about to go away. And uh, some of them are kind of like, you know, well, because is, I think I might want to take a year off and stay here because I'm not too sure going to be viewed or looked at, especially uh, where I'm coming from, coming from East St. Louis, because there's a that kind of goes with it, saying that, you know, it's a place where people don't make a lot of money. And the, the students that I encounter at the East St. Louis school district level they're they're more open about things that are going on and realistic about it and they just they're I don't want to say are friendlier but they have something about them that is is different than any other students I've ever met so it's it's kind of like they don't want you to feel sorry for them and they're going to work hard but they understand the position that they're in and that because they are black and because they are coming from this way of life that it, it is going to be harder for them but that's not an excuse as long as they work hard and do what they're supposed to do they have the right mentors they have the right people in their corners who's helping them out uh, that the the things are out there for them to do as long as they go out and find what it is uh, specifically that they want to do and steam has been big uh, in education you know uh, just getting the arts in there now and that's why i'm doing this piece with a, a gear up about creating this uh, miniature golf hole so that we can get that as a piece uh, in there to their education because a lot of these students feel as though music isn't something that they want to do. And I partnered with uh, the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra this year, and they actually told me that they've been wanting to work with students in East St. Louis, but they haven't really found a way to get involved. And they were thankful that I actually came to them. So I took hundreds of students over there uh, to see their first symphony, and they were amazed. And they told me about all of these scholarship opportunities that they have, you know, that they just want to give to African-American students. Wow. Because they know that that's a, something that they haven't tapped into yet, that mm -hmm. majority of their students, uh, you know, receiving their scholarships are the white students. And they know that that's not the only thing out there that are, you know, good in music. So I don't ever want my students to think that, you know, speaking on racism is something that they're afraid of doing because, you know, it's, it's opinionated, but at the same time, it's okay to agree to disagree. So everything doesn't have to be, you know, an argument, but it can just say, oh, okay, I understand why that's your side. And this is why I think this way, this is my side. You know, we can walk away and still remain cordial, but uh, we don't have to just agree that, okay, what you said is completely right. Or what I said, you know, if I'm telling them to be open about it, then I definitely want to be open about racism as well. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I'm going to ask you to review with me because I, I lost track of which students you kind of were impressed with handling it differently. Where, where were they located? Oh, well, uh, the East St. Louis students. So oh, okay. those students that I met, I mean, yeah, when I first came into the position, there was, uh, I received, I guess I want to say more of a warm welcome from them saying, okay, yeah, I see you and I, I recognize that you see me because you are a black 
male and you're here to help me. Uh, usually when I'm in different spaces, such as the, um, uh, like the private or parochial school sectors, uh, just in my opinion, in my experiences, sometimes I see the black individuals that look like me that think that I'm there only trying to take their job or I'm there trying to do something else instead of like working together and saying, you know, let's accomplish something else. So, uh, so when I was actually at the private school, I wanted to bring, you know, uh, blacks together. And one of the common threads was, uh, was me and we're still good friends to this day. And he actually just moved to New York and is a professor at NYU now. Uh, we created a, uh, what is it called? A, um, a gospel choir. Oh. And so we invited them uh, to my church to sing and they sang there and had a good time. And, and uh, a lot of the things that I saw and the things that the students there started to recognize was that um, their white counterparts that actually went to the school or their teachers or administrators that said they were in support were never there to show up and support them at these things. It was uh. always the black individuals, you know, that, you know, the, the black uh, counselors or the black registrars that would show up in support. So they started to feel that, you know, well, I guess your mouth can say one thing, but your actions show another. And I wasn't trying to create a divide, but, you know, I just wanted them to see that, you know, there are certain people that are in your corner. There are those that are going to say and do, and then there are those that are just going to say, but you have to recognize and realize who's all there for you. Great. I, I, it reminds me of uh, going to different events at Lincoln University uh, there in uh, Richardson Auditorium and feeling like I was maybe the only white guy in the room. <laughs> uh, it, you know, <laughs> yes. Giving support uh, is, uh, is an important part of being the teacher or uh, administrator of, of a school. So yeah, I, yes. I can appreciate and that. that. Uh, not to cut you off, that kind of goes on uh, what I did my dissertation about. My dissertation was about, does having a black male math teacher help in the understanding of mathematics from black students. And what it actually boiled down to was the fact that the relationships that uh, black males had with their students was a different kind of relationship that they would get from anyone else. Mm -hmm. And uh, it actually showed that having a black male math teacher was actually, a, you know, it was a rarity, but it actually also affected the white students as well because they were able to see a black male in a leadership position. Right. And uh, typically that's not something that they see. So it, so it helped all the way around. And uh, uh, some of my questions that I point up, I never had, I think I can recall one black teacher that I had, but it was when I was really young. So after that, you know, after, uh, you know, people would say, well, you're going to Lincoln University, how is an HBCU something where you don't have any black professors? And I said, well, it might be because of this and there's not many people in there or, but there are a lot of factors that go along with it. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult for, uh, I guess, students to understand that that not everyone is for them. I'll never forget, I had a, uh, I worked in St. Louis uh, public schools 
and a, a math ACT prep program. And so um, what I actually did was I actually had uh, students there that uh, I raised their scores, but I had students really care about me. And uh, they said that I know that some of these teachers, they've actually told us that, hey, I'm only here because uh, uh, I got a scholarship, so I only need to teach in public schools for five to seven years and the students without really caring about their students, knowing that they were going to leave the district in an X amount of years. Basically, uh, my dissertation was about this having a Black uh, male math teacher affect the understanding of mathematics with Black students. And it came to be that, yeah, teachers built a relationship uh, with these students and they had a type of rapport where students wanted to come to class and they wanted to you know do well because they they knew that their teacher expected greatness from them and they that made them work harder and you know it wasn't the fact that their teacher was was uh what they would consider easy, but they were saying, you know, I'm doing this or I'm grading you, you know, uh, to this extent because I know what you can do. And uh, a lot of these teachers uh, and a lot of these students today, they know and they understand which teachers are in their corner. And um, in, uh, when I worked for St. Louis Public Schools, I ran a ACT prep class uh, for the math subject at uh, Roosevelt High School. And I'll never forget, I, I, was, uh, I raised some scores there and I was talking to some of the students after I finished one of the sessions and the student told me that uh, they knew that the teacher didn't care about them because the teacher actually uh, said to the entire class that, you know, I'm only here for a few years because I'm here because uh, I'm trying to get my education paid for. So they got some kind of scholarship where, you know, they only had to, to teach in urban districts uh, for X amount of years. And they knew that they were gonna leave and actually go teach in districts where they wanted to be in. So mm -hmm. because of that, that affected how they were instructing their students. And they would come to school some days with this, I don't care attitude and I don't care if my students get it or not. And when mm. a student feels that way and sees that from their teacher, they don't understand, uh, number one, why they're there, or two, why they should even work hard for this teacher. That's a, a powerful point. Uh, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to get around sometimes, though, unless you're, uh, you have the flexibility as a superintendent or a principal to uh, pick and choose who you are able to hire. Like at Lincoln, yeah. for instance, one reason there might have not been as many Black teachers in certain areas was it, we had trouble getting black students to come up through the undergraduate program to become teachers. Uh, you know, you were one of the few that got all the way through that program and went on to become a teacher yourself. So uh, do you, can you speak to, to that? Uh, I'm going to call it a problem uh, where <laughs> we need, we need more black teachers. How do we get that? Yes. So, uh, and I was having this conversation with uh, one of my peers the other day. Uh, I think one of the main reasons why we don't have as many as we should now is because they don't view it as a way to make a lot of money. And yeah. I don't think you need to go into this profession with that mindset. Uh, but there are ways, I mean, 
who's to say, you know, that uh, teaching or, you know, being in education is the worst profession that makes the least amount of money, because I definitely don't believe that. But if you know that you can change the lives of, of students or that you're doing the work, why are you doing the work? And if it's something that you truly enjoy, uh, what is your purpose really? Is it, is it only about making money or is it about, you know, making this a better place for your children or your grandchildren or other people? Or, you know, is, is education something that you see, you know, generations down the line that you want and believe that, you know, some of the, uh, the education that you received uh, was not good because it came from somebody that was not the same background as you, then why won't for those that are trying to make that change and try to get more people in this profession? So you had, in a way, uh, an entree because of your parents' education that they had. Would you say that's true? Oh, yes, Definitely. With that, with me seeing them work and being teachers and seeing the respect that they received when they walked in the schools and being honored for, you know, teacher of the year, things like that, and the difference that they would make. Uh, my friend uh, that we all went to, him and my grandmother passed away on the same day. So we had a, uh, a double funeral on the same day. And the amount of people that showed up were former students from all of left and moved away, went to college, and they all came back and respected him. And uh, on social media and found a lot of the quotes that people had wrote about him and actually entered that into my speech and said, you know, a student from the 70s said this and the 80s said this, the 90s, the 2000s. And just to see all of these things made me feel that, you know, he touched so many people that I know that I can do the same thing. And it wasn't about money because we were never rich and that was never a problem, but we always had everything we wanted. They always made sure that we had the, the necessities and we were able to travel and do things of that nature, but we were rich in family and that's what counted the most. Wow. What a powerful story. So with this whole, um, well, let's call it a, a a new world, because I think we're in my years of experience looking out at what's going on. Uh, it seems like we've taken a pretty big step toward a different future. I don't know. I don't just mean in a political sense, but just in a way of uh, acknowledging or beginning to acknowledge history and uh, actual experience. Uh, of racial disparities, I'll, I'll just use that phrase, it, it seems to be getting a different level of acknowledgement. Are you experiencing yeah. that? Yes, I am. With that being said, when COVID hit, uh, um, when this was in the spring, uh, in our spring semester, a lot of our students, I think the educational system was not ready for this to happen. Mm -hmm. So me personally, I think that some of the students that graduated in 2020 were not as prepared as those that had graduated prior to that class. And uh, I, I think that that had a negative effect on some of these students and especially a lot of these colleges and universities because they didn't know the enrollment numbers. And uh, this is just on the educational uh, level, but even with sports, when you bring that in, how is that going to affect scholarships and the number of scholarships that can be given out to students 
right. and the extra years of eligibility, all of that. But a lot of this, uh, what I experienced and what I saw was students, they did not know. And it, it wasn't on them. I think it was on the school. They did not know how to learn virtually because uh, there were a lot of assignments that uh, before COVID happened that were required of them to turn in virtually or use Dropbox or, you know, use certain platforms of things that students just did not do that were supposed to be covered by, you know, teachers and instructors, but they just didn't go over it. And uh, when this happened, they really weren't prepared. So, and, you know, in reality, I think a lot of students would just push through without actually finishing out their senior year and getting a lot of the, the things that they needed. So then we fast forward to the fall and uh, we're still experiencing some things. So I still have, uh, well, I have friends that have uh, children that are in private schools. And uh, uh, I was on a Zoom call about a month ago from uh, uh, with a principal that lived in uh, Iowa. Iowa or Wisconsin, I can't remember. And he said he didn't have any problem with students, you know, uh, virtually uh, attending class or anything because they knew how to do it. And they knew the expectations and all of that. And they weren't just gonna be passed. They had to do the work. But then uh, we go back to St. Louis Public Schools or East St. Louis where I was at, I saw students that, uh, would not get online or just would not, you know, do certain assignments or turn them in. And uh, this one of two things, they just didn't know how to do it, or they just weren't going to do it. And uh, that's not even uh, talking about the fact that students uh, did not have internet access. And a lot of people said, well, you know, uh, here in East St. Louis, um, one of the cable companies, Spectrum, they were supposed to give all these students a hotspots or free Wi-Fi and all of that. And right. that was true to an extent because uh, it was true to an extent because the only way that they were giving it out was if they didn't already have a pre-existing uh, payment or bill that they didn't pay. So a lot of my students still weren't able to give Wi-Fi because uh, their, their parents uh, hadn't paid the bill in a while and they were like, well, we're just not going to give it to you. Then later on, the school issued, okay, well, we'll give out, you know, hotspots to all the families that need that. But that was later down the line. Personal opinion, I really think that what's about to happen is that the uh, GLEs, the grade level expectations, are about to be changed. And um, what we remember, we believe, I know that we're in a head. We come from different, you know, uh, backgrounds, different learning and things like that. So what I remember is that, you know, seventh meant that you won't need to learn algebra maybe to the ninth, 10th, 11th grade, that they'll push it back to make it seem like, okay, you're on track. But in reality, it's everything is pushed back. So just because you think you're on track, you're really not because we had to make accommodations because of what happened with COVID. Now I could be completely wrong, but I just, I think that's what's going to happen. So I think the GLEs and uh, with Missouri, we work with Desi. I think Desi is going to go ahead and say, you know, well, we need to restructure what this is and say, this is what all the grade levels need to learn by now. And parents are gonna be looking at it and say, well, we learned that when we were this age and this age, but, can you blame them if there's a lot of things missed because they weren't in the classroom? Yeah, I, it's a difficult uh, 
difficult way to evaluate because it's brand new. And uh, what do you do? Yeah. And this may be ongoing for, I mean, a year or another two years. In some ways, uh, we don't see quite the end right. of this uh, pandemic, uh, certainly here the way it's been going. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised that at Lincoln University, they they are having uh, in-class uh, sessions since uh, it opened in September this fall. And it's just that everybody yeah. has everybody has to wear a mask. Uh, I have, uh, yes, I have a, a couple students from the St. Louis that actually uh, are attending Lincoln. And okay. uh, they were telling me, yeah, that they were, um, you know, attending classes and things. And I have a little brother. He goes to a Southern University down in Baton Rouge, which is in, a, in HBCU as well. And uh, they started off virtually, but uh, just like Harris Stowe, he said that they um, were making them uh, take hybrid two days a week and then the other days were going to be virtual. Yeah. And I actually had a student uh, that went to Lincoln. Well, she's still in Lincoln now. I don't know how true this is, but she informed me that um, after Thanksgiving or Halloween, I can't remember which one she said, that they were sending them all back home and they weren't to return to, I guess, after the new year. Yeah, I heard that as well, that a shift that was going to take place, but that that had been planned even before the school year started. I guess that was giving everybody a chance to get the hybrid uh, or the virtual opportunities up and running so that they could finish out the, the semester uh, virtually and not have to be uh, yes. dealing with people coming back from home uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, possibly infecting other people. It's an interesting, yes. an interesting uh, angle on how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Have you run into uh, Joshua Peters over at Harris Stowe? Yes, it's funny you should mention that. I talked with him uh, last week. Good, good. Yeah, well, Josh has been a guest here on my show. And uh, we, uh, like I said, we have, and I found out he informed me that he's a product of the Gear Up program. I didn't know that. Ah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, so he's going to actually, um, with his experience in politics, He's going to speak to the Gear Up community on the 14th of November. Excellent, excellent. Uh, how about uh, Terry Wilson over in Jennings? Do you have any contact with Terry Wilson? No, I do not. Well, Terry uh, would be a, a good contact for you. He's a Lincoln grad, uh, played football, um, is a uh, school board member or has been for several years his wife his not his wife his mother has been the mayor in, at Jennings okay and uh, Terry has a a private business that uh, does consulting on uh, education and, and business um, be, it'd be a good contact for you all right thanks yeah I'll uh, do some digging and see what I can find out about him yeah I, I have his information I can uh, get it to you on the email and, and uh, make sure you all, you know, have an opportunity to hook up if you feel like it. Yes. Okay. Thanks. We know that networking is, uh, is, is the way that uh, we're going to stay better connected and educated and informed and everything else. Yes. 
Are there any areas that you would like to uh, speak to that oh. we haven't touched on at, at the moment? <laughs> well, how do you feel? I know that this is about me, but I, I kind of want to get your take on the educational uh, aspect about how you think COVID has changed uh, education and where do you think or where do you see it going and how it's going to affect students in the future? Well, uh, I'm glad you're asking, and that's, that's uh, uh, certainly an important question. I, I have limited experience, of course, not having been in the education realm for a few years. I do have a daughter and some grandkids out in Oregon, and uh, one way that they are adapting in education is that uh, the kids are part of and I'm, I don't fully understand it, but it's, uh, they're in grade school age, an outdoor school. They, uh, they're, they're getting their layers of clothes uh, ready because this rest of this semester and next semester, uh, everything is outdoors. Hmm. And I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested to learn more about this what it speaks to, to for me, though, is that this particular uh, pandemic has sort of been a crucible for so much um, creativity in communication. Uh, how do we adapt? How do we change? Uh, what the, our values? Uh, you know, so many things have had to be looked at which I can only think of as a good thing. Whereas in the past, if we were just kind of doing the model and continuing and continuing, sometimes that gets, uh, we're not so introspective. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, that there's a lot of introspection going on, uh, both by students and parents, uh, as well as uh, faculty, staff, and, and administrators. And, uh, and we can really examine our, our values, our methods, our, uh, like you were saying earlier, uh, does money really make that much difference when uh, you got COVID out there? <laughs> right. Keeping people out of work. Uh, so how do we adapt to uh, not just present day COVID, but even into the future, we've got our, our uh, crisis in the environment and, and in the oceans and in all the other kinds of things that are, are really uh, serious challenges to our survival, I believe. Yeah. And, and the decisions we're making now, I, I hope are taking those things into account do we want to just do the same old kind of education that we've had? Uh, how do we make it so that we can survive in, in a whole different kind of a world uh, situation? You know, there's just so much that, that's uh, in this uh, moment. And, you know, moment is not moment, but it's, it's this in terms of uh, history of the world. It's just a moment of time that, uh, of change that we're in. And um, yeah, well, that's my philosophical <laughs> uh, from the hip uh, response to you. 
how do you think about what I said? Yeah, I think, well, first about uh, the outdoor school, I think that that's different. I almost wish I could see the uh, how the model is being, you know, uh, presented to the parents and how it's actually working. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as everything else, uh, with the money issue, does it really make a difference? I think that's a big thing that, you know, all people should think about. Uh, and I know a lot of people are, uh, well, the people I've been talking to are really talking about the election and they think uh, that they believe this, uh, the upcoming election is going to make a difference with what is about to happen with education. So I know that that's what they're waiting on and I kind of want to see and understand what kind of difference do they think that's going to make. Um, but talking with people, you know, uh, who have had COVID or have had family members who have uh, passed away from COVID, uh, with them sending their children back to school, they're kind of in limbo. They're kind of like, you know, well, I feel as though it's not the best thing for me to send them back to school because I don't know where everyone else has been and I don't want to put them in risk of uh, getting the virus. But at the same time, I think that they need to be in school because uh, I know how they learn and the way they're learning now, which is virtually, isn't something that uh, is actually uh, helping them. It's actually hurting them or hindering them. And at the same time, some of these parents are like, well, I need to go back to work and this might be my only option. And especially with single parents uh, who don't have help from anyone else who are just saying, you know, well, if they don't go to school, then I can't go to work. Uh, it kind of puts them in a hard place, in a hard position. And uh, they don't have those luxuries of, you know, sending their child uh, somewhere else where they're sure that somebody's watching them do the work. So they want to risk their, the lives of their children. And if they contract COVID and they bring it back home and now the parent has COVID or they don't want them in the house with them, it's just there are a lot of things that uh, people need to think about. And people ask me all the time, well, what do I think? Do I think people, uh, these students need to be back in school? And I look at it from uh, the perspective of where I'm working. So with all of my students in East St. Louis School District, I'm dealing with students that uh, a lot of them think that college isn't the best option for them. And I understand why they think that way. Uh, some of them are receiving information from their parents and saying, you know, well, I tried college, it wasn't for me. And they took out student loans and now they're paying back debt because they feel as though, um, you know, why should you go to school and uh, not graduate and then have to pay the government back and not have anything to show for it? They're looking at it negatively instead of how uh, a degree can actually help them. And I don't want to be the one that says everyone needs to go to college because I, I do strongly believe that college is not for everyone. There are some people, I mean, that they found other routes to be successful that you do not have to go to college in order to be a success story. You can find success in many other ways, but it is an option and uh, depending on what you major in, I think personally plays a big role in it, um, but to get out there and see. But like I was saying with, the, um, with where I'm working, that has a lot to do with it. So how do you tell a student that uh, is banking on, you know, uh, maybe 
obtaining a, an athletic scholarship because a lot of the athletes that I've seen in East St. Louis, these are some of the best athletes I've seen in my life. And I think that, you know, they could go on to play division one or they can play, you know, in the pros, but they might not have the grades for it. Uh, right. And some of them are just getting pushed through because of their athletic ability. But if that's their only way out, and what they have around them is seeing those individuals that did not go to college, that are still living in their neighborhoods, that are doing negative things that cause them to be incarcerated or to end up dead or something like that. And they see the better life out there, but they can't go to school and actually play the sports or have scouts come and see them to actually say, okay, I want to give them a scholarship. You know, what are they supposed to do? If this was their only option and their family is banking on them, if everyone is looking at them like you're the one that's actually going to get us out, like that's a lot of pressure on a six. 16, 17 year old that now they're thinking that, oh, my dream is crushed and I can't help my family because COVID has happened. Or, and what am I supposed to do now? And it causes these students to, to, to try to earn fast money and it might not be in a positive way. Right. Uh, those students may need, you know, to be in school to keep them from doing something else that might ultimately uh, mess up the rest of their lives. And, and I can understand that, but I don't want to put them in risk of saying, hey, you know, there's a possibility that you might get COVID and, uh, you know, it, it, it could be deadly for you. It might not be. But then they say to me, well, what am I supposed to do? And when all I see is colleges and universities, you know, they're allowing their players to play and the pros are playing right now, too. So they're just saying that that we don't matter that it's okay for them to go out and you know compete and do all of that and risk COVID but it's not for us and I mean it's just a hard conversation but I, I understand why they want to go and for those reasons I would say you know well maybe should allow some things and we should give some things for these students because there's no telling how it might turn out for them. Now, some of them, uh, you know, their seasons got pushed to the spring, but it, especially for my seniors that graduated in 2020 for their basketball season, like they weren't even allowed to finish that. Oh. And they weren't even allowed to have a track season, you know, because it was right uh, during the midst of it. And for those seniors that were banking on, this is my only opportunity to get seen, they were kind of in a place where they're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Because I wasn't able to get that scholarship because of what happened. Are you seeing a change in the way the communities that you interact with look at family planning? Is there more fear of the future is kind of what I'm getting at in terms of should we have kids or not? Or Do you hear discussions along that line? Yes, I do. I hear it from from both sides. I hear from people stating that, uh, you know, they're afraid to maybe start a family now because they're kind of like, I don't know how it's going to impact uh, my children or what's going to happen. And then I, I also hear from uh, those that already have children talking about people that are thinking about having children that are in a certain that are saying, you know, well, maybe you shouldn't have children because of the amount of money you make. And it might not be, you know, beneficial or great for your family because it'll put you in a position where uh, your child is going to have to struggle. 
So maybe something should be uh, thought about. Should you have children, I guess, depending on uh, your class or uh, if you cannot afford a certain way of life for your child or something, is that good for society or how does that work for society? Are we breeding people that might ultimately be a certain kind of citizen, um, maybe a, a bad citizen according to those because they have to do whatever it takes just to live their means. And it's, it's, it's tough. I don't, I mean, I never want to make the choice about, you know, what someone should do, you know, with their body or how they should think about it. But I think there should be some thought with uh, your partner or those that are thinking about starting a family with how is it going to affect us and what kind of uh, world are we living in or going to be living in? How can we think more in community terms, neighborhood terms, church community terms, in terms of becoming much more cooperative, community-oriented, helping each other, you know, whether it's food or, or policing or daycare, various kinds of things where we may need to be a little bit more community self-sufficient in different ways. I, I don't know if people are talking about that at all. Uh, I've heard seldom people uh, even talk about it, but... Mostly it's more so what can I do for myself and my family first to make sure that they're all good before I go out in the community and help, which is not the way that people should be thinking. We should all be thinking about, yeah, how can we help one another and get more of this community uh, background to, you know, uh, to be involved with each other and make sure that as a community, we grow and sustain and be successful. But, yeah, we have to, to have a change of, of mindset first, I think. Yeah, I, I think uh, the message is your personal family will do better personally if the community does better as a community. <laughs> yes. So uh, it, it's sort of messaging, I think, uh, that maybe uh, we need to change the messaging. But yes. here we are solving the, the world problems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if they just listen to us, huh? <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's a conversation, though, that's important. And uh, hopefully uh, those conversations are happening all over the world or all over our neighborhoods. Uh, and decisions will be made one way or the other, whether you think you're not making a decision ends up being a decision. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm anxious to check in with you again uh, next year as, as how, see how things have uh, come along. Oh, yes, definitely. Dr. Kendall Ware in St. Louis. Uh, you know what we didn't talk about? Maybe we, maybe we could take a minute here. Uh, your ministry uh, future, it sounds like <laughs> you're headed uh, to add a, uh, a ministry job. Is that the, what I heard? Yes. So uh, I'm currently a, a minister at my church, uh, Jerusalem Missionary Baptist Church here in St. Louis. And uh, I'm finishing up my master's in Christian ministry. And uh, the good thing is, is, so my wife is a mental health therapist. 
And so uh, I think a lot of the work she does and with me obtaining this degree go hand in hand. So we often talk and I often, uh, you know, uh, tell her about things, how she can incorporate them into uh, her therapy sessions without, you know, uh, it being or it showing that, okay, well, you can only do this with Christians, that you can do this with anyone uh, in life. So it's not like, okay, if you look at um, John, verse, John chapter three, verse such and such, it doesn't have to be like that, but just the core principles, uh, you can incorporate those. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been talking about that and eventually we'll probably do something where we'll have uh, uh, trips or something like that, bringing together uh, couples and things like that to, to get them on the same path. But uh, uh, in about a year and a half, I'll be finished with this, with this master's. And to be honest, uh, I, I like the program because it just doesn't, uh, a lot of people may think that, uh, you know, going into theology, you're just going to talk about, you know, Christianity or learn about that. That's not what it is. You're going to learn about everything else. And the professors that I have, you know, they ensure me that they kind of say, you know, we're going to give you everything. You'll do research and we give background information and all of that. And then you can decide. We're not trying to say that, hey, this is what you have to be. Like, this is a, a thought of your own. After you're seeing everything, what do you believe? What are your principles and values and things like that? And you don't have to be wrapped up into one particular idea and this is just it. Um, so after going through the program, so far going through the program, I, I think it's great. And I'm, I'm out here witnessing the people, uh, talking to them all the time. And a lot of uh, the witnessing and things I do, they don't even know that uh, it's, uh, it's coming from the Bible or things that I've learned or scripture. I'm just, just the way I'm wording it. And I think that that's great. Very yes. cool. And your wife is a, a mental health professional. Wow, what a team. Do you have any final thing that you'd like to say, Kendall, before we sign off? I'm just, I'm here trying to you know, make the world a better place. I'm glad that I'm still connecting and have a network with someone like you. And I hope that this message reads someone. And um, especially for the, the Black teachers out there and those that are thinking about the profession that realize that, yeah, it's not just about the money, but it's about helping just as all life should be. How can we, you know, build a stronger community with everyone else and just be of help and help support those and bring each other up and get to a place where we all are fruitful and benefit from the same things and have a, a just goals and aspirations that are bigger than what those that think we can't do it, we can actually do it. Well, I'll say amen to that. Thank you so much, Kendall Ware. We'll be checking in with you later. All right, thank you. All you listening out there today, remember, wherever you are, that's your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you all soon.